Welcome back to the podcast. This week, we have more stories from the EUC road as Sean Donahue and Al Solozano tackle this all-too-familiar question. Do you choose performance or security? But does it have to be an or statement? Can you have an and statement instead? Let's join the conversation. All right, welcome, welcome, welcome back to the podcast today. I'm your host, Shondo, and I am talking stories from the EUC Road, and I have with me longtime fan favorite, show staple, Al Solorzano from E360. Al, welcome. As the cheers, cheers are rolling in. He's making his way to the virtual crowd. Please, please stand back. <laughs> Walk away. In the room. No photos. No selfies. <laughs> Al, uh, happy New Year. We uh, we're talking about maybe not the sexiest subject today, um, and we're talking about uh, files and storage and the importance of performance and security with files and storage. So. Uh, I'm so happy to have you on here to talk about this, even though some maybe people don't spend enough attention on. Well, I think you, you actually hit the nail on the head, right? It's like really what you care about is performance and security and everything that goes underneath it to make it work. And and to your point, file storage um, is is definitely an important piece of both of those aspects, right? It's an attack surface for ransomware. Um, it's a potential performance issue for the user's experience where like, hey, you've solved all the problems, you've solved the networking, the endpoints, but yet somehow they're accessing a file services is slow. So to your point, like while the, the underlying components of IT are never sexy, it's always right. the experience and the security of those aspects that uh, are critical to that conversation. Yeah. And, and it is critical because whenever you launch a VDI session or uh, EUC environment, if it's fine if the desktop responds and loads quickly. Nobody wants to see it load slowly, but if the then the data that they're accessing is sluggish and slow to respond, it's no greater than if the desktop was slow to launch. Absolutely. Yeah, we, we actually had a customer of ours way back in the day, back when I had hair, uh, used to use a stopwatch and they would yeah. test scenarios, right? Where they would see like, how long did it take to get the desktop to launch? How long did it take to access a, a, a file path and launch a file in a spreadsheet or document? And uh, absolutely, I mean, super critical to you know what the users are doing. You know, I, I've had some customers look at it from a financial perspective. To your point, like just understanding, like, hey, for every five seconds of someone waiting around, you add that up in the day, and that could be you know, 15 minutes that could amount to five more phone calls or three more transactions. And so absolutely is important to the performance side, but, you know, security, that's another big piece, right? And I know we'll be talking about that today too. Oh yeah. And, uh, and it is so, it got to the point with me, um, this is years ago, obviously, but I stopped telling, like if I went to the doctor uh, for a simple checkup or, or something like that. I stopped telling them who I worked for back when I was at Citrix because Citrix and the VDI often got the, the blame and it was misdirected because it was actually the underlying infrastructure that they built out for it that was not responding as quickly or they sized it out three years ago, five years ago, and it hasn't kept pace with the demands that the employees were putting on it in the growth of the business itself. And I always like to say, 
the you know, hey, the pants I specked out or sized out for myself three or five years ago, <laughs> they don't cut it today either. So why should I expect my uh, VDI environment to be the same? Where's your Where's your New Year's resolution to get to the gym a little bit more? There. Oh, that went out the window. Uh, yeah, out the window. Yeah. Uh, no, but, uh, <laughs> that's a good. That's a really good point, right? You know. I will put a percentage on it. 95% plus of our conversations with customers who have a uh, hatred of their VDI deployment. Typically yeah. it's because of performance, right? It's they undersized it. They've added more applications. They've added more services. They've grown, you know, back in the day when, if you had a, a 50 K file or a hundred K file, you'd be like, Oh, it's kind of large. Now you're, you could be talking about, hundreds of megs of PowerPoint presentations and Excel spreadsheets with massive amounts of columns and, 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 and cells. And so, yeah, that performance, that experience is, is definitely the utmost importance. And, and I think that's where, you know, not just the underlying architecture of Nutanix or scaling out make a lot of sense, right? But the file services, I think, was a no-brainer when we first saw it. Um, you know, that, that unified storage story made a lot of sense, right? Back to the keeping everything as close as we can to the VDI architecture, less hops, less, you know, less steps that we had to go through. And then Nutanix bringing on the, the story of simplified administration was like, oh, this is great. We scale out very easily. We can deploy very easily. We get the performance we need. And it's a much easier scale out story from a, from a VDI perspective. And now we're starting to see customers, you know, again, they were using the, the files and unified storage components for VDI only. Now they're adding group shares. They're adding other components to it, other storage architectures to it, bringing that in and now also leveraging the cloud. Now that we got Nutanix clusters in the cloud, being able to step that out and have a much simpler story for how files are replicated uh, within their architecture, and that's that's been a pretty significant win for some of our customers. Yeah, uh, understanding how they can kind of move away from that traditional Windows file server and trying to set up DFS and manage it separately, and things that go out of sync, just don't even don't even mess with it anymore. Bring it into right. here. And what do you think the the primary driver is? Is it that performance that they get because i'm still uh, wake up at night in in terror in, in night terrors screaming about profile bloat uh and and slowing down the launch times and like i said you know citrix was getting the misdirected blame for it because they it was their splash screen you remember the, their splash yep, screen of course and yeah. it was there for the longest time so is it, we've that had or is it by the way we've had we've had customers ask us can we remove the logo Right. Mm -hmm. Just yeah. just remove the logo. It doesn't say anything. It just launches. Right. Right. And they actually uh, toyed with the idea of allowing customers to change the logo to their corporate logos at one time. Yeah. Um, but so do you think that the primary driver, is it the performance advantages of the the like the data locality, keeping it closer to the virtual desktops themselves, or is it the centralized management that you get with the unified storage? What's what's the biggest tip? Uh, if, if I had to kind of pick a one A one B, I would probably go with actually the simplified centralized administration capabilities. Huh. You know, I think you know performance is performance, absolutely critical. I think we've seen some benefits around like profile virtualization solutions like an FS Logics right now for Microsoft, where rather than loading the profile during the login sequence, therefore the larger the profile, the slower the login times. 
now that virtualization has allowed it to be kind of mapped on the fly. So that's definitely helped, right? Uh, and that's allowed things like OST files and things like that, that online you know, caching mode that we really kind of needed for Office 365 kind of has enabled that functionality. So definitely performance is critical. I think there's there's been some advancements in the profile solution set to kind of offset that. But what I have seen from the administrative point of view, right, is again, this is very similar to when we have conversations around hyper-converged with kind of like traditional VDI guys. We're like, look, you know, the the more things that are outside of your control, the more things that can go wrong, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so what ha- what we saw is the the traditional VDI guys were like, you know what? I don't trust the storage and hypervisor team. They they messed up one thing and it blew up our entire VDI deployment, and we got for it, right? So they started kind of wrapping their hands around hyperconverged architectures and maybe even changing hypervisors like to to AHV, and kind of saying we, we want to have that control. So now the next step was well. What else is outside of our control? Well, definitely files is outside of their control. So they were able to bring that in. And now things like, you know, per data protection, data security kind of became a little bit more under their control about what they could do, the replication of the data, the scenarios that they needed to address. You know, the VDI deployments might be in three out of the 10 data centers. They don't need to replicate profiles across all of the data centers like DFS typically would. They were able to kind of have that little bit more uh, control of that. And then the maintenance of just being able to update, right? So when, you know, updating the file servers, you know, that's updating a Windows server and you have to update them all at the same time. Now that there's the one-click type of approach from Nutanix uh, for the unified storage, it's it just became an easy story for like, oh, we can control it and it's easier and we get some better performance, great. That's, you're hitting the trifecta for me. Nice. And and so now, but what about, um, what I wanted to ask you about was the, like this distributed storage architecture. How, How important is that? Or are people realizing the advantage of that? Like all the storage in the nodes being able to be combined uh logically is that is that key yeah yeah no it's come up uh i i've seen different scenarios sean i think i've seen some customers where they they kind of have it more where it's isolated um you know from a unified storage perspective like only three out of the 10 nodes in the cluster are providing the file services. Now, they also understand they have the capability of running it across all of them. That will, of course, reduce capacity, right? Maybe you can run a a couple less VMs in that architecture. Uh, But basically, just it's an architecture discussion. Like, what do you prefer? Do you want to have a a dedicated Nutanix cluster just for file storage? Mm. Do you want to make it part of your existing cluster? And again, you can still use the capacity for other things like, uh, you know, compute, virtual desktops, infrastructure, VMs, so on and so forth? Or do you want to move it across the board? I've seen most of the customers kind of more decide that it's part of their main cluster, but it's not across the entire cluster. Uh, They want to leverage the capacity for other things. Maybe they can put some uh, some other services on those same machines. Uh, But also, you know, just knowing that it's possible that when they need to scale out, it's there for them. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And to your point, just making sure that they understand that, like, okay, if we add another node into the storage component, um, it may affect the capacity. And they just understand that we have those conversations. And again, back to my other conversations around capacity planning and the runways. Right. Understanding that as you grow your environment, maybe you might need to add another storage unit. Maybe you need to add some more uh, storage heavy nodes into your architecture. 
Yeah. So yeah, it's definitely going to depend on the, the requirements of the customer, but uh, the tool set and the options are there. But are they still seeing that need? Like it's almost like breaking old habits that need to have that dedicated uh, storage system to support the virtual desktop environments and, and then additional NAS systems or file servers, like you were talking about the store of the user profiles. How, how big of a habit is that to break for me? Uh, probably is going to depend on the pain of the customer, right? <laughs> uh, as is usually the, the case, right? You know, customer pain is going to, I you know, kind of make them look at: Are we doing things the right way? Right? If there's no pain, you're just like, well, leave it alone, right? Uh, but pain is usually the driver for those conversations, and the pains have been: we talked about it, performance, capacity, um, outages, you know, that have affected the VDI deployment, and VDI gets the blame. Uh, you know, understanding that, um, you know, hey, while VDI grows at a certain pace, right? Things like group shares might grow at a slightly different ratio. So therefore, understanding like, hey, do we are we planning for that capacity? How many IOPS are being pushed through it? And again, the VDI team doesn't really get to see that data. So having that visibility into that layer is definitely beneficial. So yeah, pain is probably what's going to be the biggest driver. I think probably for most things, right? You don't go to the doctor either unless you got some pain. Oh, I do. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> <laughs> I regularly go. Uh, no, um, but that's great, great insight. But also... Uh, I, w- I hear a lot of buzzwords and I was hoping you could shed some light on them for me because we talk about performance gains. We've already talked about the importance of the data locality in relation to the VMs and, you know, improving the performance and the launch and the responsiveness. And, and believe it or not, we care about the employee experience these days. We never did back in my day. And, uh, but it's all about, it's all about happy employees and, and, and enabling them to work obviously where they want, when they want. But one of the buzzwords that I was hoping you could shed some, uh, ha, ha, I'm, I'm picking up a pun I, I'm making here. I didn't realize it. One of the buzzwords I was hoping you could shed some light on for me is shadow clones in relation to performance and the unified storage. Yeah. So the, the shadow clones concepts, right, is really just trying to being able to address how many you know virtual desktops, the storage impact, the IOPS performance impact for those virtual machines, right? So because you have kind of a... Um, a single master copy, right? Where all the reads are coming from and all the deltas are going somewhere else or all the the writes are going somewhere else. That provides a a much lower IOPS requirement uh, from an architecture perspective, number one. Uh, Two, a lot less storage requirements, right? Rather than having a full clone copy every single time. Um, and then with the distributed architecture uh, from the Nutanix storage system, right? Every, every machine, every, every node in the cluster would be able to have a copy of that shadow clone, again, further reducing the potential networking impact and everything else that comes into play. So yeah, shadow clones have have kind of been around for quite some time already, Mm -hmm. uh, but definitely are an important piece of of the right and correct architecture uh, for a VDI deployment. Right. And being able to get rid of what I call the boomerang effect or 
like you said, crossing the hops and crossing the wire to retrieve that data is that's uh, a killer, man. That bottlenecking that happens is yeah, and it's sometimes hard. something difficult to troubleshoot and figure out, right? Because you're you're thinking it's a normal operation to go across the wire to get something from like the traditional storage architecture, but like in in a hyperconverged architecture, you actually want to reduce that. Right. Yeah. There's no need for that storage to go across. And again, we know we know local data transfer is much faster than network data transfer, even even with the advancements in the in the core networking switches. Um, it's just much faster to have that, that level of access. And so, yeah, architecting and making sure that you're including those concepts in, in your design are, are critical. Yeah, I like to equate it. Uh... I don't know if you ever did any bartending back in the day, but I wish bartend- I do bartending now with uh, with everyone working from home. I, I got my my little Get your bourbon set up. <laughs> <laughs> but bartenders had a, had a have a speed rack in front of them, which is going to be all the most ac- most frequently accessed liquors, and then of course they have to turn around to the back shelves and the top shelves for the less frequently accessed. And I like to think of that kind of in terms of of shadow cloning as well and, and the replication so yeah maybe that's totally great scenario and i'm a drinker so it totally makes sense to me <laughs> you gotta keep your jameson in the speed rack and maybe maybe your <laughs> hennessy 35 on the back shelf <laughs> exactly hide that one so no one else knows it's there uh you alluded to it you touched on it already uh but i was hoping to peel back the layer on that onion too is like that that simplified scaling uh, and capacity planning. And I know we've talked about it on a previous uh, podcast as well, is that that built-in uh, capacity planning and even the historical data to, uh, I don't know, predict uh, future needs. Yep. Yeah, so we talked about uh, like Nutanix Sizer previously, right, where you can build it into your design scenario and your your bill of materials to understand the impact of adding the storage architecture. Because just so everyone knows, basically it is an additional virtual machine that is being dedicated on those clusters uh, for that storage. And so that has an impact, right? It impacts the number of virtual desktops you can run. It affects the number of uh, vCPUs, RAM, and everything else that's going on. So by adding um, that in terms of the sizing pre, pre-buy, Right mm-hmm. now, we understand that we have a better architecture to uh, address the performance and capacity. Now, that's when you buy it and you plan and you think I got X number of storage, X number of IOPS, X number of gigs of, of cap- capacity or terabytes of capacity. Then you get into production and you start realizing, oh, we actually have a little bit more than we thought. Or now we think, hey, we love this idea, but I need to continue to scale it out, right? And that's when the prism components kick in and then understanding capacity runway. How much can I continue to grow at this rate, at this run rate, uh, before I got to go buy another node? What is the potential impact to my users? Hey, yeah, you can keep running at this rate, but now you're going to get 20 less VMs per node. And now you got to figure out what the performance is going to look like. And so understanding all of that, right? Not just the, not just after things have already gone live, which is the worst time to find out things, <laughs> preparing for it up front, yep. kind of having the, the, the knowledge, the, you know, I don't want to call it AI or ML, right? Machine learning, artificial intelligence, but that, that knowledge ahead of time that something is trending in this direction and then being able to take action on that direction, um, you know, easily, right? Hey, what do I need to do? Oh, I need to get two more nodes of roughly this size and bring them into my cluster. And I got 30 days to figure that out. 
that's a that's huge, right? right? Usually most organizations are dealing with it 60 days after they've already got a problem, right? They're waiting for the phone calls. Okay, now we're starting to get way too many phone calls. Now I got to go put it in through procurement. Now I got to wait for the hardware to ship. So the more lead time you can have once it's in production and once it's being used, the better. Yeah, it's almost predictive analytics, uh, you know, being able to look into the crystal ball, but with data, not just smoke and mirrors and being able to actually predict what is going to happen and when it's going to happen more importantly. But everything Al, can't, everything can't be sunshine and daisies. Uh, we have to talk. We have to build. I mean, you know, I have natural insecurities. I have fears. And, and it is that ability to recover during those server or, or, or drive failures. And I hear self-healing, self-tuning. And is that really going to save me? Am I, am I going to be able to sleep better at night with those? Well, there's definitely there's definitely some initial steps, right? There's the just kind of the things that occur within an IT environment. A, a drive starts failing, something starts going wrong, a node starts having issues. So there's definitely kind of like the underlying like help me sleep at night type scenario that Nutanix addresses, right? Yeah. Then you start getting into a little bit more like things that are behaving incorrectly because of bad behavior, right? people that are doing things that they should not be doing, whether whether malicious or not, right? They're clicking on the bad email that's releasing a virus, bringing in some ransomware, whatever it happens to be doing, starts encrypting drives and components. That's that's probably where more people are staying up at night, right? Have they, have they created a plan to protect themselves from that, number one? And then two, are, do they have the right tool set in place to be able to respond and see that occurring and hopefully try to stop it before it occurs, right? Yeah. Um, we've been dealing with a lot of customers in the last, of course, a couple of years with ransomware. Some have definitely been hit very, very hard from it. Some were able to catch it early enough and be able to address it. Uh, but the consistent messaging is it's not a matter of if, it's really a matter of when, because they're very intelligent. They're they're moving much faster than IT corporations can move, right? right. So, you know, um, when we first saw ransomware, like we would notice that like, oh, their NetApp storage was not getting hit. We're like, oh, that's kind of cool, right? And then we started seeing more customers where their NetApps were getting hit. Then we were seeing like, well, their Veeam backups were not getting hit. Well, those guys started getting, started getting encrypted also. So we're seeing the advancements of ransomware really continue moving forward. IT is basically in this mode of like always playing catch up, right? We can't spend enough budget to always stay in front. So you're definitely looking at tools to be a little bit more intelligent, try to catch those as fast as we possibly can, and then hopefully do like a sense and respond. Like, hey, I noticed something's going on. Let me take a certain action to try to address it quickly. Uh, and that definitely we're seeing a lot more customers ask for those types of tools. Yeah. And that's what gets me so excited about this uh, this Nutanix data lens uh, that gets incorporated with uh, the unified file storage because my understanding is that it so not only you know we obviously we talk performance we talk about you know the advantage uh, advantages of of unified storage in relation to EUC or VDI environments uh, in that data locality shadow cloning things like that but it's that that um, unique advantage of this data lens now capability in being able to identify risks and monitor 
the bottlenecks, the performance limitations, the remediation, you know, recommended remediation uh, steps to prevent the failure uh, from happening, happening in the first place. And I heard this stat um, that data lens currently has 5,100 plus. So that's 5,100 plus files defined that it identifies as malicious or uh, malware ransomware uh, threats. And I just thought that that blew me away. Blew me away. Yeah. Well, I, I'm waiting for the 5200. When we get to 5200, I'll start talking about it a little bit. <laughs> so, uh, but, you know, to your point, right, it's, it's, it's understanding the behavior rather than the signature, right? You know, back when, back when viruses were uh, more important as a thing that we were trying to prevent, um, those things were signature based, right? Yeah. And then, then the developers of the you know AV solution started being like, well, no, there's certain behaviors that they're all trying to do, right? Relatively, the good thing about most of the ransomware is it's trying to do the same thing everywhere, which is encrypt, right? right. So you're looking for a specific type of action, and then you're able to see that action taking place and hopefully stop it, and then have the ability to recover quickly from it, uh, you know, before it completely takes over the environment, right? And then, like you said, hopefully get all the data back, right? Crossing your fingers, you can get everything back. Right. And so here's, I, I want your help in, in getting this to catch on. So with data lens, I like to say that it, um, like we said, it identifies the activity, it identifies the encryption that is taking place, monitors that, alerts you, you know, the admin uh, to that taking place. And then, I like to say it stops it, blocks it, because block, you can block the uh, user by IP address, or and then rolls back to a known good of that uh, affected file. So it's stop, blocks, and rolls, right? <laughs> I see where you're going with this, Sean. Uh, stop, yeah. drop, and roll. Stop, blocking and roll. I love it. And then and it's, it's, it's as if you're in a marketing team or something, man. Okay. <laughs> What's that? As as if you're on a marketing team coming up with these cool ideas and concepts. I know somebody should hire me, <laughs> <laughs> but then it also uh, has audit trails uh, and tracks the file access over time. And it aids. Now, does that aid me in, in compliancy, having that, that information available? I definitely think it could. You know, I I would look at audit trails also as things just like behaviors, right? If this is a file that's frequently accessed, I want to know that, right? If it's a file that hasn't been accessed in five years and suddenly it's being opened a whole bunch of times, I might be like, hmm, that seems like an interesting thing that I got to look at, right? And where is it being connected from and what accounts are having access to those files? So I'm, I'm, I'm hoping to see, you know, and again, I haven't had a lot of time to really get into data lens just yet, but once I do, I'm going to be looking at some of those audit trails to understand, like, what is that information that we can see mm -hmm. to, again, take action, right? I think, you know, um, we're seeing some of the manufacturers for identity look at things like, well, you can't physically log in from Chicago and then log in from uh, Hong Kong uh, 30 minutes later impossible right. take a certain action right i want to see the same thing from the file storage kind of architecture right of understanding that you know this file has never been accessed by this user in the last five years and now suddenly it's the most important file in this person's life something else might be going on right right where where what are they doing from it is this account compromised 
uh, things like that and trying to tie that into identity. Yeah. And I know we're back against the wall on this one here, but I wanted to, I've heard some numbers recently that actually uh, relate exactly to what you're talking about. And the numbers blew me away and I was staggered uh, by them. But, uh, and it's just a point of interest really, but the number or the, or the percent, percent, boy, the Boston came out on that one, the percentage the percentage of people who actually fall victim to ransomware and then pay the ransom is over 50%. It's actually almost 60% of people pay the ransom. Now, it may seem obvious to you, but it was caught me off guard and it makes sense to me that of the people that pay the ransomware, they are then retargeted you got to figure they're easy marks now for these yep. uh, nefarious people. Over 60% get retargeted after they paid the ransomware. You didn't plug the hole, right? However they right. got into the environment, you didn't plug the hole. I mean, it's it's definitely a business. I've seen a couple business decisions there, Sean, where the business looks at it as like it's a financial transaction. Go ahead and pay it, and then we'll get everything back. That's cheaper than doing the fixes. But the problem is, is to your point, you're you're a target again, right? right. Not only you're not only you're a known technical target, you're a known financial target. They know you've already paid it, so now they can increase it and and maybe even going after more money uh, the second right. time around. So, to your point, like I I we definitely don't recommend you know that model you know of, of going down that path immediately. But I definitely have seen customers. But yeah, the numbers can be staggering. Yeah, and then the last one. So I love how we've we've taken the story from. It, in a typical VDI EUC environment, it was always just the user who left the building, had a laptop, data stored on the laptop. That was the risk. That was the vulnerability. They'd leave the laptop on the bus or something like that. And now patient information was out in the wild and lost. And now it's the, the, the threat and the, we have to strengthen that security landscape to include those users who are out, but also where the data resides in our control and also the actual vulnerabilities uh, from a just a, an ordinary user who means no harm. But the so as far as the data recovery itself, when they pay the ransom, I know it almost seems like I'm obsessed by this, but when they actually pay the ransom, the number of people or the percentage of those people who get their data back, 86% of them do not get all their data back. I mean, those are Vegas odds. If, if you had an 86% <laughs> chance of not getting your win, would you even put the bet? Yeah, I mean, to be honest, I, I would even be interested in knowing it's probably more than that too because they probably don't know all the data that was lost, right? Right. That, that's the funny part too, right? The amount of data that, that we consume in IT and as users of IT is beyond imagine, right? And, um, you know, not knowing, like, did we even lose the database? I don't even know, because was anybody even using it? I don't know. You don't know until someone was starting to use it and then goes, oh, yeah, that file only gets accessed once a year for HR purposes. Well, we won't know for a while whether that file was recovered because no one actually accesses it. So, right. yeah, I, I, it's funny you say the numbers at 86 surprised you. I, I actually would have thought it would have been a little higher just yeah. because of just users just not knowing how, what they're doing in the IT, kind of trying to understand where all the data's at still. Yeah, spot on. Or maybe they're just not admitting to it. 
They're not. <laughs> I wouldn't. <laughs> All right, Al, we are out of time, my friend. And as always, oh, man. it has just flown, flown by. But where can our listeners uh, get more Al? Where, where are we sending them to get E360? Yeah, you can just go ahead and visit uh, www.e360.com. Uh, that's all of our information there. We do have uh, multiple practice offerings from our digital workplace offering that I run to our security team to our DevOps cloud approaches, modern infrastructure conversations. So we're definitely a full service shop, managed services around the all those components that we were just talking about. Uh, we'd love to talk to you, especially with all the changes that are going on within the uh, EUC world right now with between Citrix and VMware. There's always a lot of questions we're getting from customers. So we're definitely open. And I always thank you for your time, Sean. Love doing these things with you guys. Love Nutanix and uh, appreciate it. Awesome, awesome. Thank you, Al. As always, don't forget, folks, Nutanix.com for all of your uh, subjects that we covered here today. And with that, I'm going to hand it back over to Angelo, and we're going to close it out. I don't know, maybe we'll have some exit music. (laughs) All right, Al, take care. Bye, everybody. See you next time. Bye now. Thank you. Thanks, Sean. Don't forget to check out our show notes and links to resources at next.nutanix.com. So with that, from your friends here at Nutanix, have a great week.